a copy of the Word of God to the book of Mark. That's good music, man. That's real good music. Amen. Amen. Would you rest your eyes on verse 41 of chapter 12 in the book of Mark? Now, Jesus sat opposite of the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, two cents, two pennies, which makes a cadron. So he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Surely I say unto you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for all that you're doing here. Father, I pray that you would strengthen the workers. I pray for strength for the elders and the deacons. I pray for the leadership here at this church. God, I would pray that we would never become weary and well-doing, that we would be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Father, I pray that we would understand that our reward is with you. God, I ask that you will pour down a fresh anointing of your spirit that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit of God has to say. God, we want to go deeper in you. And so we're asking, oh God, that the soil would be fertile, that we would not be resistant to what thus saith the Lord. God, we're asking today that you would simply have your way. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God for all that he is doing. I learned the hard way that it's very easy to concentrate on what God is not doing. And the Lord said to me one day when I was in the grocery store late at, late at night, my least favorite place where God often would speak to me, <laughs> he said, focus on what I am doing rather than what I am not doing. Some of you may have heard me share this uh, story before about the giant ship engine that failed. The ship's owners tried one expert after another, but none of them with their engineering skills could fix the broken engine. Then they brought in an old man who had been fixing ships since he was a youngster. He carried a large bag of tools with him, and when he arrived, he immediately went to work. He inspected the engine very carefully, top to bottom. Two of the ship's owners were there watching this man's every move, hoping that somehow he could figure out how to get this ship that was their primary moneymaker working again. After looking 
things over. The old man reached into his bag and he pulled out a small hammer. He gently tapped something. Instantly, the engine lurched into life. He carefully put the hammer away and the engine was fixed. Amen. Amen. Does somebody have a hammer? <laughs> Not a little hammer. <laughs> Amen. A week later, the owner received a bill from the old man for $10,000. What, the owner exclaimed? He hardly did anything. So they wrote the old man a note saying, please send us an itemized bill. The man sent the bill that read, tapping with the hammer, $2. Knowing where to tap, $9,998 grand total. $10,000. When you don't understand why you're being asked to do something or how to do it, the simplest, simplest of things may seem unreasonable and unachievable. But when you understand, when you have knowledge, what was complicated and frustrating and stressful, it becomes, like with this man, it becomes, it's not that deep. You pulled your hair out, you lost sleep over this, you're trying to figure it out, but when you understand it. Now, other people may still be frustrated and confused, but you got this now. It ain't that deep. It's not that deep. As a new Christian, one of the things that I really struggled with was giving money to the church. First of all, I was a broke and disgusted college student who had no money. I was broke. And secondly, it seemed like all the church ever asked for, and whenever, when you heard from the church, you might be gone for three years, but you, the letters that you would get would always be about Money. I thought that the reason why the church was always asking for money is because the pastor needed it. I mean, after all, he had the nicest car. <laughs> and he dressed better than everybody. <clears throat> what can I say? <laughs> and of course, I have the nicest car. Uh, The entire giving thing made me feel pressured and conflicted. I got really uncomfortable when it was time to collect the money. And so one of the things that we would do, we didn't have to come up front. They would pass the basket from person to person. And I learned from the pastor's children that you could pretend to give something by putting your hand over the plate and opening it like that. And no one would know that you hadn't really given 
anything. I remember, as, even as a member of Christian Stronghold, very large congregation, and they had about eight baskets, or maybe not that many. The women, two women held the money for the pastor's love offering or speaker's offering. Then they may have four other baskets, and you'd be standing there, and you'd just, man, I'm not going, I can't put something in all the baskets. And one of the ways that I dealt with, and again, this is after being saved for a long time, I would have the uh, information cards. I put my offering in one basket and my information card <laughs> in the other basket, and, and I felt better. I'm just being transparent about the pressure you feel when it's time to collect the offering. In fact, some people uh, are not here. This is other churches I pastored. They would always arrive after the offering. And then churches would move the offering to the end of the service <laughs> for that purpose. I just felt some kind of way for a long time about giving to the church, to the preacher. One day, as a seminary student in Dallas, Texas, the pastor actually preached about giving. I had never heard a sermon on giving. And once he explained why Christians should give, and he showed it to me and others in the Bible, all of, all of a sudden it wasn't that deep no more. It ain't that deep. Tell somebody, it ain't that deep. You don't, you don't have to use bad English, but it's not that deep. It's not that deep. There's no need to feel pressured and guilty. Instead, we should feel privileged and honored when you understand from the word of God that everything that we have, even the breath that we breathe, is from God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, and everything that dwells, I think that includes you and me. Somebody say amen. In Mark chapter 12, now here, I, I want to say, as I'm getting ready to look into the passage, and going to really uh, ask you to help me, I want to teach this. I'm not, don't want to prolong it. I want to teach it, so I'm going to get all my amens up front. Um, I know that some of you are going through some very serious challenges in your life right now. And sometimes if the sermon is not exactly about what you're going through, you tune out. What God is trying to do when you think it's not about or for you, it's sometimes it's for somebody else, or other times God is trying to teach you that his word, it works, even when it may not be directly on the topic that you're going through. His word is sharp and quick, like a two-edged sword. It pierces and, to the, and divides, even between the joint and the marrow. God's word is alive. So I'm asking you to, to be receptive to what God is saying. I'm asking you to get to a place in your walk with God where you're not living in your feelings. You're living with your feelings, but not by your feelings, because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know? We're not going to live by our feelings. That's a sign of immaturity in Christ. We don't walk by sight. Feelings 
are dependent upon what you see, what you feel, what you taste, what you can hear, the senses. But faith says God said it, and that settles it. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. In Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38 through 44, we are ushered into a live worship service. The guest preacher is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The scripture suggests that the service is coming to a close prior to his benediction and offering is collected. And then we read these words, as I've already read, now Jesus sat opposite of the treasury, and he saw how the people put money into the treasury. And so we're coming to the end of the service, and Jesus, like me, is sitting opposite of the collection. And unlike me, he's actually paying attention to who's giving and knowing exactly what each contributor has deposited into the offering plate. He knows us like that. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I want you to consider three things with me. First of all, I want you to, we want to travel back and, and, and find a seat in the temple on that day when Jesus is preaching. He has been dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes and and their trick questions, and, and, and he was so impressive in his responses that the Bible says from that time on, no one challenged him with questions again. It is significant to note that when you come to Mark chapter 12, this is Jesus's last public ministry. He is heading to the cross, the countdown to Calvary. And so we find him in this setting. So the first thing I want to look at is the setting. Secondly, we want to consider the significance of the widow uh, who gave her last, the last that she had is, cru is crucial. We're going to consider the significance of her gift. And finally, we're going to look at the spiritual lessons Jesus teaches about giving because it ain't that, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. Somebody say amen. 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 Now, where the offering, Jesus is sitting opposite of the offering, and he is watching. And notice where the offering was collected, because that's interesting. The Bible says it was at the temple. This is our temple. This is the place we call the church. But how many of you know that this building is not the church? You are the church. The Bible says that you are the the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. And wherever the spirit of God is dwelling, that is where the church is. So wherever you go, you took the church with you. But we're meeting as an assembled body because we understand the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as a manner of some is, but coming together to encourage one another as these evil days, they're not approaching, we live in an evil day. Somebody say amen. amen. I want to thank God for Donald Trump right now because some people are praying like they never prayed before. Some people reading their Bible again. Amen. Some people are thinking twice about coming out of the closet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, notice that they're in the temple, and this is where Jesus has just preached. 
Now, in the temple in Jerusalem, there were four separate entrances. There was the north and the south entrance. There was the east entrance and the west. Three of the entrances were used for coming in and out of the temple for worship. During the first century, women and men did not worship in the same place. Men worshiped in the northern section of the temple, and the women worshiped in the eastern side or the east side of the temple. Now, I find it really kind of amazing that the place where the offering was collected was on the woman's side. I don't know why the Lord decided not to put it on the men's side, but that it was on the women's side. But even though it was on the women's side, everybody that gave came to that part of the temple to make their contributions. Now, the key thing that I want you to remember is this. We are a purpose-driven church, and the purposes by which we are, 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 are basing the way we do church is modeled or found as a template in the Word of God. And so the key thing that the scripture teaches about where the offering occurred is simply this, not how often it occurred, not if the offering was in the back of the church, the side of the church, on top of the roof. It doesn't, it's clear that it was in a visible place, and it seems like it was in the front of the temple. And, and when you do your study, you'll find uh, exact, an, an, a more exact answer. But here's the key, is that the offering was collected in the temple at a designated location. That's why we do it. It's a designated place at a designated time, and it was collected in the temple. Now, the offering, what I want, I want to share with you what they used. They had 13 different baskets, and they were called trumpets. The reason they were called trumpets is because the baskets were shaped like trumpets. The, the top of the basket was narrow, and the bottom was wide. So when you put coins in, you could hear them. Ding, ding, ding. You could really hear the coins going in. So if you were rich and you had a lot of coins, everybody could hear. Like when I gave my $5, I'd hold it up and, and walk to the offering plate, and everybody knew. $5 was a lot for a college student. And so they were called trumpet containers because they looked like trumpets. And nine of the, all of the baskets were marked for a specific purpose. Nine of them were marked for tithing. And tithing was the responsibility of every, belie- er, every income-earning believer. If you have income, you should be tithing because the Bible says that the tithe, the tenth, the first fruit, and that is not the net of your income, but the gross of your income belongs to the Lord. All right, three of you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. So nine of the baskets were were earmarked for tithing. And then the four remaining baskets were for free will, voluntary love offerings. And those offerings were used for the fatherless, for strangers or foreigners and the poor and other special projects, other special projects. So you had four baskets, free will offering, and nine baskets specifically 
designated for tithing. Now, the money was collected. People would walk up and drop the money. And the tithing was based on your income, not mine. God doesn't expect you to give what somebody else gives. But he expects for you to give based on how he has what? Blessed you. Now, the interesting thing about that, they're actually, so they would come up, they would put their, their money into these trumpet or these baskets, containers of tithes and love offering, free will offering. And that was visible. Everybody could see them if you were paying attention. But today, there's a thing called direct deposit. A lot of churches have direct deposit. You could actually have an app on your phone. We don't have that yet. Where you never have to walk up and put anything in the basket. Just like you pay your bills to Del Marva and Comcast. And if you don't, guess what they're going to do? <laughs> I don't care how nice you are and how, many, how long you've been a customer of theirs. If you don't pay, you're going to get your, your thing. Your, it's going to get a disconnect. So there are churches that allow you to put your tithe through direct deposit. And so there are people in those churches that you will never see walk up to an offering basket. There are people at this church, and I don't know who gives what. I don't. I don't know who gives for my love offering unless you write me a check and praise the Lord if you do. And I don't want to be irresponsible for not. I'm gracious. Whatever, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, I'm gracious. And I intentionally am not interested in what you give. I do know that we have a very generous church. The church gives. But there are people in this church who actually mail their offerings to the church. You may never see them say, well, did you ever notice that when offering time comes, I've never seen Pastor Benson go to the offering plate <laughs> one single time, and he always talk about giving and sacrifice and loving God. When is this brother going to put? He just said he had all these extra envelopes. What is he doing with these envelopes? Well, we are tithers, and we do give in obedience to the Lord. And while we don't do uh, have checks mailed here, but that's really the best way to, to save money so that every week when you do give, you're not writing a new check. And by the way, you don't have to give tithes every week. It's based on your income. So if you're trying to keep up with the Kardashians or the whoever you think they may be in the church, and you're giving tithes every week, but you only get paid once a month, guess what? That's not, that ain't the Lord, that's you. So you give when God has blessed you with income. And you give as he has prospered you. Now, if God hasn't prospered you, if he hasn't blessed you, if, you if, 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 if David was lying, he said, I've been young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor If David is lying, then you can hold on to, hold on to it. But I believe that those who are obedient, as you are able, God honors that. Somebody say, God honors that. Now, so the money was put in the baskets and people gave. They didn't have the resources that we do. 
you know, I'm going to get an app. You put my name on there. You can say, oh, pastor, I got so much this. No, 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 we're not going to do that. I, I don't want to be funny today. Somebody going to think I'm serious. So they would walk to the offering. The second thing is that the money would be counted and placed in the church's treasury. What we do now, we don't, put, we don't have the money locked up here. Put the money in the bank where you can draw interest on it so that we can do even more for the Lord. And so they counted the money, and they would put it in the church's treasury, and then the money would be used for paying the priests and the Levites. Out of all of the tribes that God told Moses to designate land for their personal growth and development, the Levites and the, and the priests were the only two that were not given land. They were, Moses instructed them that their livelihood, their room, their, their, their housing, their food, their clothing, their finances would come from the tithes that were given by the worshipers in the temple. And so the, so the priests and the Levites were supposed to live off of the ministry as people contributed. Now, let me just keep on. I'm trying to get through this. Are you still with me? Now, sometimes they would also pray, pay for the up, they, they, they paid for supplies for the temple, the animal sacrifices, the robes. They, they paid for, uh, uh, there was a long period of time when they were building a house for God, and they collected money for years. David, when, when David told the Lord, I'm, I have a house to live in and a beautiful palace. How am I going to be comfortable? And you don't even have a house. I'm going to build a house for you. And God says, no, you're not. You're, you're a man of bloodshed. He said, but your heart, I'm going to honor your heart. I'm going to allow your son Solomon to build the temple. If, if, if David had been like some of us, okay, God, you can have it your way. I ain't giving nothing to it. If I can't get my name on it, if I ain't going to have a special pew with my engraving, my name, a brick in my, if I can't have what David did until the day he died, he raised so much money that by the time Solomon was old enough to build the temple, they had more than enough money to build it. That's why the Bible says that the, the most beautiful place in the city of Jerusalem was not Trump Towers, not the luxury resort where we pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to go every year to vacation. It was the house of God. Solomon's temple was the most beautiful, spectacular, extravagant edifice that was ever designed during that time. It was worth billions of dollars. And that still wasn't enough because God deserves everything. Amen. Somebody say amen. And then the money was also used to meet the needs of the fatherless, the orphans, widowers, and for strangers. I want you to know that God has a special place in his heart for women who don't have husbands. And we're going to talk more about that. And I believe that sometimes what God, what will release what God wants to do for us is that we need to do more for people. And as we are trusting God to do that, God will begin to, be, to open doors that may remain closed to us. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, why did Jesus watch as they gave the money? What was what Jesus up to? You know, he looked as they, he, he said, he watched and he saw. Not only was he just, he, he actually saw what they were giving. 
It said, and many of them were rich, put much in. They gave out of their riches, not according to their riches. It wasn't about the amount they gave. That's not why Jesus was watching. It was about why they gave. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Uh, And we see this in Acts chapter 5. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Let me me just share a couple verses from uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Ananias, he was a member of the Jerusalem church, and he had heard about all of the gifts that were given. And one of the gifts that was especially recognized, and there are times when names are given and attached to certain amounts that were given. In this case, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, his name is mentioned because he gave a large portion to the church, the early church. And uh, so Ananias and Sapphira basically said, I like that attention. I like uh, 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 having that type of uh, acknowledgement. And so they decided that they were going to make a contribution to the church themselves. Somebody say amen. And so the Bible says, Peter speaking, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a portion of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? And so what Ananias did with God's money, and somebody needs to understand this, it's a serious thing to play with God's money. He lied and said, we sold property, and the the total value of the property is what we're donating to the church. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter that Ananias and Sapphira were lying. And the scripture said, after Peter uttered these words, that Ananias dropped dead in the middle of the church. And they didn't have a funeral service. They just picked him up and carried him out and buried him outside the church. Maybe that's why the idea of having cemeteries and grave plots in front of churches. I don't know why that. Maybe they saw the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't ever want to have a church that have graves in the front of it, but they buried Ananias and his wife. So it's never about how much you give. Because even if you gave a large amount, if God didn't place it on your heart to do it, you won't get any credit for it. Whatever we do, it should be as unto the Lord because it's been, here's the problem. We are so accustomed to waiting for uh, uh, somebody to you know, tickle us or, or convince us, and, and, and we want to know, what did she do? What did you do? And then we figure out what they did. Then we, no, no, no. You need to learn how to hear from God for yourself. I want you to know there's some things that God will never do for you until you, God didn't, not only saves your heart, he saves your hand. He saves your purse. It was to demonstrate the importance of giving. That's why Jesus watched. He watched because giving is needed and it's important. In, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me, the Lord says, now in this, saith the Lord, and will I not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you will not be able to receive it? Giving is necessary. It's important. God says, bring the tithes into my house so that I can meet the needs that I've already shared with the specific things salaries were paid, 
people, I believe that God wants this church to do radical, rebooting, relevant things that we, by our giving, we change people's lives for generations. That we, we, we think about people that we can bless with what we got, what we receive. If we did this for this family or for that person that's getting ready, whatever, I'm not going to fill in the blank. I believe when we do that, God will make this church the kind that the devil has to tremble at the name of new direction. He watched because God keeps good books. He keeps good records, and so should the church. God keeps, there's a book called the book of life. There's a book of works. There's a book that records every name of every star. There are billions of stars, but God keeps a record. He knows each star by name. God knows every hair on your head. It's numbered. Every tear that you shed, he counts it and he records it. God keeps good records, and God also keeps a record of every contribution that we make. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, we're told, verse 21, verse 20, we're told, and then God also so the Bible said every idle word that we speak, there's a record. God keeps good records, and so should the church. And so that's why Jesus was watching. Notice it says in the Old Testament, we're commanded to tithe. You're commanded. It's not an option. In the New Testament, you never read where we're commanded to tithe. Here's the reason why. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Verse uh, 3, he says, but when you do your giving, when you give your charitable deeds, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The reason why we're not commanded to tithe is because it's assumed that you're already doing it. He says, when you give, not if you will give. As you are already doing this, do it in such a way. So, well, he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand do. So why are we putting gifts in the offering in front of everybody? So, no, no. He's saying when you don't let your left hand, your right hand, right hand, left hand know what he's doing. What he's saying is don't do it to be seen. He said if it were possible for you to give in such a way that you didn't even know what you were doing, so you wouldn't start tripping. That's the kind of giving that the Lord is talking about. It's between you and the Lord. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, let each man give as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity. Don't, well, we need, we got a $50 basket over here and a 25 We used to wait after church. We didn't know when we were going to get let out. We need $50 more. Who's going to get five? Who's going to get 10? He got a bunch of college students broke. Nobody got anything. And guess who ended up putting the money in the pad? The pastor. And he raised angry children because they, they didn't have clothes. They wore the same thing all the time. And, and they, they lived in a... So when, you, when a pastor does that, that's not what the scripture tells us to do. He says, give as you have purpose in your heart. It's between you and God. Have you prayed about this thing? Giving is spiritual. It's between you and the Lord. And you ought not to give out of being forced or compelled or manipulated. Because God loves a, a hilarious giver. The Bible says God loves the kind of person who gives that laughs to and front. You want to know when you should shout at church? Don't wait until the meeting. I love Brother Dontre, and, and, I, and I love my, my drummer, and amen, praise the Lord. 
But the time to shout is when it's time to give. Because you get to give back. Now, I'm all into Brother Warren. But the time to shout, <laughs> that was his daughter. <laughs> the time to shout. God loves a cheerful giver because it's more blessed to give. Oh, I love blessing people with what God has given me to share. And people are so taken back when you give them something. They want, what, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's in it? Where's the string? No strings attached. The blessing is in giving. I told you how my mother, she, every time her birthday would come around, and you guys say, well, this is, this is really, really twisted. But she would give us money to go buy her birthday gift. She would. And then we would go out and buy her birthday gift, and then we would give her the gift, and she'd say, thank you! I'm so surprised! How did you ever think of this? And I'm so glad she acted like she was surprised that we used her money to bless her. How many of you know that everything that you have in your bank account, in your four, it belongs to God? And when we're giving it back to him, it's like my mother saying, I'm so surprised that you're giving me what already belongs to me. And God is okay with that. I don't know about you, but I'd have a problem with that. Make me a card. <laughs> Scratch something on a tree. <laughs> buy me a star. That was a, that was a biggest scheme, buy somebody a star. I did it. The Lord keeps good records. Giving is important. And Jesus knows what we give. He knows what we give. Because he's concerned about our heart. He's concerned about how there was a family that was driving home from church. Like you're going to be driving home from church today. And the father started saying, man, that was a long sermon. Oh, that pastor preached. Oh, man, it was boring. He talked about money again. Then the wife said, and the organist must be deaf because she was playing those, that instrument entirely too loud. Then the daughter said, and you know the soloist, she thought she was singing good, but she was really off key. And then grandma said, well, I didn't hear a word <laughs> of the sermon she had a hearing problem. And then as they drove into the parking lot, Junior, the, the, the youngest son, said, you guys may be right, but it sure was a good show for a nickel. It sure was a good show. We sure got a lot for a nickel. <laughs> Here we going to pay $500 to go see Beyonce, and they want to give a nickel to God and then complain as we're giving it. I want you to know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord, and those gifts every single Sunday are on display, and we pay good money. We pay, I'm trying to save you some therapist money by preaching the word of God because my Bible tells me that God will give you peace that passes all understanding. I'm telling you, if you stick with the book, God will bless you in ways that no doctor or medication can. So keep your nickel. 
church is not entertainment. It's a time of encountering God. The significance of the place. We see the place, the situ- the, we see the setting. Let me, let's move quickly to the situation, this, this, the, uh, the, the, the significance of the, the widow. Somebody say amen. amen. In verses 42 and 43, when you get a chance, I want you to read those verses. There are four groups in the, in the congregation at the time Jesus is preaching. There are the general members of that local temple. There are Jesus' disciples. And then there are the scribes. And then there's the woman who's the widow, and she represents us. We were there that day. Now, I want to focus on the two groups before we look at the disciples at the end from the spiritual lesson side of it. Stay with me. You still with me? So the scribes were trained experts in the law. They were PhDs. And some even suggest that in order to be a scribe, you had to memorize the entire Old Testament wrote by rote memory. That's how sharp their minds were. They were teachers and interpreters of the law. They were translators and transcribers. So they would take the Hebrew Bible and translate it into Aramaic, and then they didn't have copy machines and printers. And that, so they would, they would literally take the scrolls of the scriptures and the stones, and they would transcribe from the Bible in, onto pages Word for word, and then they would go back and count every letter, every word, every paragraph. And, and, and that's how ex- precise the, the, the scribes had to be. They were trustees of the law. They protected. The reason why we have the Bible today is that many scribes lost their lives hiding the scriptures so that they wouldn't be destroyed. The first thing that invading forces would try to do is find the scriptures and burn them. But the scribes. And before the scribes, they were the Masorites. They would hide the text. They put their lives on the line for the word. But they were traditionalists. And Jesus, speaking about these scribes, he says, well, did Isaiah prophesy you? He said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their lips. There's a a prophecy of Isaiah. He said, but their hearts are far from me because they have replaced the commandments of God with the traditions of men. And so what happened was that these transcribers, these translators, these teachers, and these experts began to put their traditions above God's word. You got to wear white gloves on Sunday. The deacons have to sit up front, and they all have to wear the same thing. You can't have 99 women in green. You got to have 100 green women in green. Uh, And the various traditions, the, the skirt has to be hitting the the, the, the ankle, and you have to wash your hands so that the water is running in between your hands down the front. It can't go to the back because then you're ceremonially unclean. You could only walk one quarter of them. They had all these crazy rules for the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus said that you've replaced, and we have that in church today. We have churchianity, but we don't have the Christianity of the Bible. Stay with me. We, we, we move it. They were transgressors. Here's the biggest issue. They were transgressors of the very law that they were supposed to be teaching. They were hypocrites. They were mask wearers. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. The scripture says, then he said to them, said, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, who love greeting, love greetings in the marketplace the best seat in the synagogue and the best place at the feast or the banquet, and they devour widows' houses, and for pretense they make long prayers. 
And so what Jesus does, he contrasts the spiritual leaders who look great with this poor woman who was a widow. And he says, don't be like the scribes. He says, they like to be seen when they give their offering. I'm like, my question, are you more concerned about what people think of you than what God thinks of you? Do you change your conversation after you've been cussing your whole family out? You hear somebody from the church call, you've been cussing, and, ah, and then the pastor or the elder calls, you say, hey, this is, this is the day that the Lord has made. I want you to know that there are too many Christians in the church that are perpetrating. We put on, we, they, they said they like to dress to be seen. They like to draw attention to themselves so that people will focus on them from the external. But the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God weighs your heart. Are you more concerned about what people think than what God says? Are you more concerned about status? The Bible says they look for the, the, they go to the marketplace so that people will recognize them. That's reverend. That's the bishop. That's the pope. That's the apostle. That's the elder. That's the pastor. They, 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 they seek titles so that they will have recognition that people will look up to them. They seek the best. They not only seek the best, they demand the best seated church. I ain't joining that church. No ministers in the pulpit. What kind of church is that? The ministers don't get to sit in the pulpit. The kind of church we are is a servant-led church. If you're preaching, you up here. If you're not, sit down and get preached too. <laughs> that includes me. They wanted everybody to see them when they showed up at the party or at the feast. Are you that kind of person? who thinks if you can get the title, if you could just be a deacon or an elder, or, then, then, he said, beware of the scribes. They have an outward appearance. They're doing what they do to be seen. And he says they have a false spirituality. He said they pray long prayers in public places, and they haven't prayed all week, haven't cracked the Bible in a month. But as soon as you put them up front, now, there's nothing wrong with a long prayer as long as you're not praying long to impress people with your spirituality. Because all that you just done is signed a self-addressed envelope. It didn't go any further than the ceiling because God is not going to hear that kind of prayer. And then the worst sin of all, he said that they were greedy. They were devouring widows. Now you have a widow in the audience and she was being, the Bible says they ripped off, they cheated, they manipulated widows who were the most vulnerable in the congregation because they had no children, they had no husband, and in this woman's case, she had no family. That means she had no source of income. The only provision that a widow had, unless her husband left her wealthy or with resources, was to depend on the word of God. And the word of God required what was called an overflow blessing. When the farmers would be harvesting, like with Ruth and Naomi, they were, they were told not, once you finish for the day, don't go back and collect anything. What you leave is for the poor. 
There should always be an overflow. He said, if you're correct, collecting grapes in your vineyard, and, and once you do it, the day is over, don't go back for a second. Leave the grapes, whatever was extra, was for the poor, the fatherless. In the widows, he gives other examples. And God says, when you do this, you will be remembering that one day you were a foreigner. One day you were lost. One day you were separated from God. And I met you back in your Egypt experience, and I delivered you. And just like I cared for you, you need to be caring for widows and strangers and the fatherless. And God says, when you do, I'll bless you. But if you don't, I'll curse you. Here's the danger of not giving God what's his. He says, I will curse you. I will withhold the rain. You'll put the money in your pockets. I'll cut holes in it. And then when, even when you think you can pick it up to get it, he says, then I will put a Holy Ghost breath, my Holy Ghost breath on. I'll blow it away. But God says, I'll curse you if you don't do what I say with money. But he says, I'll bless you. And so what, the, what these scribes were doing was using this prosperity gospel nonsense. If you give your rent money, God will bless you with a bigger house. No, he's going to take the little thing you got, and you're going to be down at the Breakfast City Mission if they'll take you. Had a lady quit her job, and the pastor stood up. I'm prophesying. In the name of the Lord, God has decreed and declared that you should start your own business, and you should start it tomorrow. You need to buy a van. You need to buy the source. And she quit her job, brought the resources, bought a van, got the van repossessed. The business failed, and no job. And the church wasn't handing out any benevolence. That's what these scribes were doing. That's what ministers are doing. Send your money. I'll send you a, a, a piece of cloth that I prayed for that came from Israel. No, it didn't come from Israel. And even if it did, you don't have to go all the way to Israel for God to bless something. You can take your own towel and pray over it. You can take your own towel and put some oil on it. And if you're that bad, I'll bring it to me. I'll put some oil on it. And I won't charge you. God said, I know the plans that I have for you to prosper you. And it's free of charge. There ain't no $50 line, $1,000 line. Just get in the line on your knees and cry out to your heavenly father, and he will hear you, and he will bless you. This woman came up to the offering plate. And the Bible says all she had was two cents, the smallest denominator in Roman currency. And she dropped it into the basket. Everything that she had, she gave. What she was saying is, if I could put myself in the basket, I'd do that. See, giving is not about how much can I keep, but it's about how much can I give. How much can I give? Jesus stopped the music. And that's what they would play. They would blow the trumpets. That's why we have giving music, because they had giving music in the New Testament. They blow the trumpets as the offering was being given. And so Jesus said, just stop the music. Stop the music. He said, this woman with her two cents has given more than every single person, even the wealthiest, have given today. Because they have given out of their surplus, she gave out a sacrifice. Here's what I mean by, and I'm going to finish with this. 
Some people give on a regular basis, but it's not a sacrifice. It's out of your riches. It's not according to your riches. The Bible says, but my God shall supply all of your needs according, not out of his riches, but according to. If Michael Jordan showed up here today, he's a billionaire, and he put $1,000 in this church, we might say, oh, Michael Jordan, that's out of his riches, not according. That boy's a billionaire. He ought to leave a million dollars here. Until you feel it, it's not a sacrifice. If you never miss it, it's not a sacrifice. If you've been given the same thing for 10 years, it's not a sacrifice. Talking to a lady from the church, uh, Reverend Dr. P, whatever her name is, and she said, you, she said, I got 350 pair of shoes. And she had a name for every pair of shoes. I said, how many can you wear at one time? And then she got offended. She said, I love shoes. I said, obviously. I said, could, could somebody who was barefoot get a pair of your shoes? She said, no, I give clothes. If you give something that doesn't make you feel it, it's not a sacrifice. If she gave a pair of those shoes, that would be a sacrifice because that means something to her. You ought to feel a pinch when you give. It ought to put you in a place where you are forced to trust God in ways that you otherwise would not. Don't give out of, give according to. Let's finish with this. What are the spiritual lessons? Anybody want to know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Giving is about your focus. The Bible says give to, when you give, Give to your father who sees in secret but blesses you openly. Giving is about your relationship with God. Focus on the Lord, not on who's in the, who's in the room. Well, I know they got a big offering today. The church is pretty full. How many of you know that most of the time, the larger the crowd, the smaller the offering? Well, they got some doctors up in there, and then people got some great jobs. Guess who usually supports the church? Not, I'm not saying that this church. <laughs> but when you look at the New Testament, that was the poor people. That's who support the people gave beyond their ability. So it's not, that, well, if I had more, I'd give more. No, you wouldn't. You give what the Bible says. He was faithful over little. You'll be faithful over what? Focus on the Lord. Giving is about faith. Are you willing to trust the Lord? Until I was willing to trust God with my money, I was, I was stuck we're driving in all these broken up cars. I told you about that. And then one day, I finally said, Lord, I'm not going to be in another car accident. I'm not going to watch another air condition. Because either if, you t- if you're not tithing, you really are, because God's getting his. God's getting his money. And so it could be you not sleeping at night. It could be all the kinds of things that you feel. So he's getting here. And finally, I agreed to tithe. And the first day I decided, Sunday school teaching the class, Fred Barnett, the former wide receiver, was one of my students. He said, I want you to go with me after church. We go, home, go up to his bank. He said, just sit in my car. He gets out and comes back with a check for $5,000. I didn't have the money to buy a car, but God said, when you trust me, try me. Try me and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. Giving is about your love, wherever your heart is. If you love God, the way you give is really the greatest statement of your love for God. You you support what you love. 
What you love, you will pay for. Look at your checkbook. I can tell you what you love by what you spend your money on. He said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You can't love God and money. You will love the one and hate the other. And finally, given is about your future. The Bible says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and rob. You're laying up, you're sending timber to heaven. It's about your future. If you, if when, you, when you commit to something that has eternal impact in the world, when you get to be whatever God is doing in the world, and it may cost something, when you become a part of that, you are actually making a difference for eternity. You get to be a part of something that could change people's lives forever. Would you stand with me? It's not that deep. It's about faith. It's about focus. It's about fervor. It's about your field. It's about your future. There was a man who was a great architect, and he worked faithfully for a multimillionaire. And the multimillionaire decided, you know what? I'm going to bless this man for making me even more wealthy. And so he gave him a blank check. He said, I'm going out of the country. I'm going to be gone for over a year. He says, I want you to build me a dream house. And the man looked at him and said, what? You really want me to build a dream house? He said, yep. And so he went to building the house, and he realized, the man actually gave me a blank check. And so he started to cut corners, get cheaper product. And, and of course, he wouldn't know, because uh, the, the, the millionaire wouldn't know. He didn't know anything about uh, architecture and engineering and all that. So he built the house, and the millionaire finally came back, and he said, all the money that he, that he didn't pay, but he said he paid, he kept for himself. So the millionaire came back, and he went into the house, and it literally floored him. He couldn't believe how amazing the house looked. The architect knew. He said, man, you, you just outdone yourself. All the houses that you've ever built for me, this is absolutely the best. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then he took the keys for the house, and he gave it to the architect. He said, this is your house. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, he said, in my father's house are many mansions. We got a mansion in heaven, but it doesn't say we have furniture. <laughs> when you make up your mind to serve the Lord, he said, you're sending up, you're depositing treasure in heaven. Maybe you're furnishing that mansion that is already, with, already has your name. I don't know, but that could be your house that you got. But some of us may be entering into heaven in a mansion that's totally empty. You have the mansion, but you're sitting on the floor. Now you're still happy because you're in heaven, but you have an empty house. You ever go to somebody's house, beautiful home, and there's nowhere to sit, nowhere to eat? You got to go on the front steps and eat. It's about your future. When you invest in what God is doing, the question is, is this God? Because he that soweth much will reap. You'll reap much. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We bless you.